I'm Bob Schieffer. And I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and this is The Truth of the Matter. This is the podcast where we break down the policy issues of the day. Since the politicians are having their say, we will excuse them with respect and bring in the experts, many of them from CSIS, people who have been working these issues for years. No spin, no bombast, no finger pointing, just informed discussion. In today's episode of The Truth of the Matter, I'm flying solo as Bob Schieffer is out of town. To get to the truth of the matter about his new report, Defense Against the Dark Arts in Space, Protecting Space Systems from Counterspace Weapons, we have with us Todd Harrison of CSIS. Todd, tell us about this report and why does it have the Harry Potter themed name? (laughs) Well, the whole idea for the report really started from another series of reports that we've been doing over the years called our our annual space threat assessment. And in those reports, we look at, you know, all of the different types of counter space weapons that other countries are developing and testing, particularly China, Russia, Iran and North Korea. But, you know, just looking at the threat side of the equation doesn't tell the whole story. So we also wanted to look at the other side, which is what can you do to better defend your space systems against these different types of attack? So if you view the counter space weapons other countries are developing as the dark arts, like in Harry Potter's, then, you know, what we're talking about is how do you defend against the dark arts? Uh, of course, you know, the uh, the metaphor only goes so far because, as, as everyone who's read Harry Potter knows, that the instructors for the Defense Against the Dark Arts class, they don't fare well. <laughs> right. But, you know, we thought that that would be a useful way of kind of framing the discussion for folks. And the report itself has actually laid out in Harry Potter fashion. And I want to give a shout out to your co-authors, Caitlin Johnson and McKenna Young of CSIS as well. I suspect that they had something to do with the creativity behind the cool layout of the report and certainly the substance of the report. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, anyone who knows Caitlin knows she's a huge Harry Potter fan and is an expert at Harry Potter trivia. So don't go against her on trivia night if there's a Harry Potter category. But yeah, and also, you know, kudos to the iLab at CSIS for working with us to actually put together, you know, a really interesting layout. Uh, If you're a Harry Potter fan, it's laid out like uh, the Daily Prophet newspaper. And there's (laughs) scattered, you know, Harry Potter references all throughout it. But I I don't want to... uh, don't want to overdo the Harry Potter too much because you can read through the entire report without knowing the first thing about Harry Potter. Sure. Still understand everything that's in there. Well, what it's about, I mean, it's about the proliferation of missiles, lasers, jammers, and other anti-satellite weapons that have been widely documented, but little has been said about ways to defend against those threats. Is that really what you got into here? Right. And so what we do is we walk through all the different ways you can defend your space systems from different forms of attack. So looking at active defenses where you actually, you know, try to take out the threat before it can hurt you, but also looking at passive defenses, things you can do to shield yourself, to make you more difficult to target or so that you can better withstand an attack and and operate through it. So we went through and looked at, you know, different satellite architectures. We looked at different types of technical defenses. 
We looked at, you know, different operational defenses, tactics that you could use to help protect yourself. We looked at the full range of different protections, but then we went a step beyond that. And we also looked at how would you employ these defenses in a realistic environment? And so, you know, that was part of what we analyzed in the study as well. You know, Todd, you've said, and, you know, in the report, it also indicates too, that a lot of the rhetoric coming from government officials, and this isn't just our government, this is globally, and other think tanks and other policy institutions has implied that space is not defendable. Do you disagree with that? What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I I absolutely disagree with that. I think if you look at the facts, if you look at the range of defensive options available, space absolutely is defendable. It's just like all other domains of warfare, right? On the land, at sea, in the air, you know, we're entering, you know, a period where it's a highly contested environment in space and in all domains. And so you just have to fight through those threats and to be able to maintain your ability to conduct operations. And, you know, it's not actually just about the military, the national security consequences of attacks in space. These counter space weapons can and actually are being used against commercial systems as well and civil systems like our weather satellites. We've seen attacks go against them as well. And so it really is about making the space domain itself and all the users of space, commercial, civil and military, more protected against threats. And ultimately, a one sided vulnerability invites aggression. Right. And so if you want Mm -hmm. to deter conflict in space, if you want to make it less likely that war extends into space, well, then you need to build stronger space defenses to protect against that. Some have suggested that the military shouldn't rely on space because satellites themselves are vulnerable. How do you feel about that? You know, I think it is inevitable that we are going to have to rely on space. I mean, could you imagine giving up GPS right now, just in our civilian economy. No, we couldn't get anywhere. Couldn't get anywhere, right? And there are whole elements of our economy like Uber and Lyft and grocery delivery services and you name it. We couldn't track our teenagers and and their whereabouts, which is (laughs) a mortal point. There are whole things that have built up around just GPS being available. Well, that's a military space system that's operated today by the Space Force. And if you think the civilian economy is dependent on GPS, well, you know, wait till you look under the hood at our military. You know, if you ask, you know, and a typical army brigade has thousands of different pieces of equipment within one brigade that use GPS, that use satellite communications, that receive downlinks from our intelligence satellites. I mean, We are so dependent on space. And what space gives you is the ability to project power at range, right? And as the military increasingly pivots from being focused on conflicts in a relatively permissive environment in the Middle East where we can have forward stationed forces, as we pivot to focus much more on China, the threats posed by China in the Indo-Pacific region, We're inherently going to have to operate over much longer distances in a much more contested environment. So space systems allow you to see farther, they allow you to communicate farther, and ultimately they allow you to extend the range of your forces. So what are the vulnerabilities that we really need to address? Personally, I 
I am most concerned about the electronic warfare threats to our space systems and the cyber threats. They are the silent killers. That's not normally what people think of when they think of conflict in space. Normally, people think of the kinetic types of threats, you know, missiles that go up and blow up satellites. That is certainly a a threat. But what we see is things like jamming equipment proliferating. Not only do Russia and China possess, you know, really sophisticated jamming equipment to neutralize a lot of our space capabilities, because if you can't communicate with your satellite, it's as good as dead to you. But these capabilities are proliferating to, you know, countries like Iran, North Korea. We've even seen and documented some counterinsurgency groups using these types of satellite jamming capabilities. Uh, And jamming is reversible. You can turn it on, you can turn it off, and it's invisible. The public doesn't see it, right? So it's a perfect type of gray zone aggression in space that we've got to be concerned about. And it's similar with cyber attacks against our space systems. You know, the the main vector to get to a a space system through cyber is going to be through the ground station or the user equipment. But there have been documented cases where hackers are believed to be from China have gotten into the uh, ground infrastructure that supports NOAA weather satellites. And one attack was so bad, they actually, the hackers, gained the ability to send commands to the satellite. Now, they didn't actually send commands. We're not sure why, but that ought to be scary. Uh, and you know, these are our risks that we have in our civil systems, our commercial systems. It could even be you know, a threat to our military space systems as well. And so you know enough about all of this from non-classified open sources to be able to do a report like this. So I can only imagine what it would be like for someone inside the government with access to the classified information, the wealth of information that they have there to be able to really study this. That's exactly the, the kind of information gap that we're trying to bridge here is there's you know incredible amount uh, of information about the threats, about the different defensive capabilities about the results of war gaming that's gone on in the classified environment. And there's a lot of raw information that's out there in the public domain that's open source. You know, what we tried to do is write a report that, you know, bridges that divide by taking that open source available information and distilling it down, you know, in a more understandable, non-technical way so that policymakers can understand what the options are without having to jump over and go deep into that classified side. Now, one misconception, and this is something that I, I thought was a big takeaway from your report, but there's a misconception that space has only recently been militarized. And your report details how that's really not the case. Can you explain? Yeah. And, you know, part of it is the the rhetoric, you know, I blame speechwriters, right? Uh, that you hear a lot of senior military and civilian leaders, you know, secretaries of the Air Force and, and the like, they'll make statements like, oh, you know, space has suddenly become a contested warfighting domain. And, and that just ignores the history, right? That, you know, Sputnik, the you know, first, you know, human-made satellite was launched in 1957. The first anti-satellite test was conducted in 1959, right, where the United States launched a missile from a bomber to intercept one of our own satellites in orbit just to show that we could do it. 
you know, space has been used for military purposes from the beginning. And depending on how you define a space weapon, which is something we also talk about in the report, I would argue space has been weaponized at least since the 1960s, you know, when the, the Soviet Union started building and testing satellites that could attack other satellites. If that's not a space weapon, I, I don't know what is, you know, so really it, this whole debate about whether or not we should militarize space or whether or not we should weaponize space. That's not the issue. It's already been militarized. It's already been weaponized. Our decision is how do we want to respond to that? So, yeah, that brings me to another key takeaway from your report, which is that wargaming, whether it's open source or classified, can really be helpful in terms of how we frame our defenses going forward. Absolutely. And that's part of what we did in our study is we conducted two workshops and I think it was last fall. We had to do it over Zoom (laughs) because of COVID. Uh, But we did two virtual workshops where we took participants through four different scenarios for how conflict could begin or extend into space. So it's kind of like a tabletop wargaming exercise. And, you know, really what we use that for is to experiment with how the participants would use or view different types of space defenses in different scenarios. And so that helped inform, you know, a lot of our report, especially where we looked at, you know, how do you think about what defenses you would want to use against certain types of threats? You know, one type of space defense is you could have a shootback system on your satellite. And, you know, the Soviets have actually tested something like this before. They literally put a machine gun uh, on a satellite. You could do that. We would call that a kinetic shootback capability. And if, and if someone's shooting an anti-satellite missile at you, you could shoot the missile before it hits you. Now, the problem with that is you create space debris. Also, how do you convince others that that's a purely defensive capability? Because it could also be used in an offensive way. So when you start to war game, you know, different scenarios and think about how would I use this capability or would it cause more problems than it, you know, helps alleviate, then that starts to help clarify, okay, where should we be focusing our efforts right now in the U.S. military? Now, this brings me to a question that I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking as they're listening to this. The United States is spending billions and billions of dollars on trying to get back to the moon and other major NASA projects. Should we be spending money on that or should we put be putting our money much more towards this or do the two not really have anything to do with each other and are, are they both big investments that we need to make? Is it somewhere in between? You know, I think that all of those space investments, you know, contribute to national security in different ways. So science and exploration has always been the job of NASA, all right? And that is, NASA is a civil agency. It's focused on science and exploration. And the way it contributes to national security is through soft power, diplomacy, and information. If you think of the dime construct of national power, you know, it's the D and the I is really where NASA focuses. Where the military efforts in space focused are obviously on the military dimension of space. And then, you know, now we've got this Office of Space Commerce over in the Department of Commerce, and they're really focused on the economic dimension of space. And so I think really it's all of those different arms and instruments of government working together. And 
you know, when it comes to the the budget trade-offs, I don't think that we have to choose one or the other. I think that we can do both. I think we can invest in our science and exploration in space through NASA, you know, the Artemis program, going back to the moon and things like the Artemis Accords, which is a, a set of bilateral agreements with other nations who are going to take part with us on that program. And to agree to be part of the Artemis program with NASA, you have to sign up to certain standards of how you're going to behave yourself in space, right? That's that's using NASA's soft power, you know, uh, to help us uh, on the diplomatic front. But then at the same time, I think we've got to really redouble our efforts at addressing the vulnerabilities of our military and intelligence community space systems to reduce you know, our vulnerabilities in space, employ, you know, better, more diverse defenses in space so that, you know, we can, you know, make sure that we provide the warfighter the capabilities they need and make sure that we don't invite aggression in space. How should the United States government incentivize commercial space operators to get involved with this? That's, you know, one of the interesting findings that came out of this study is, you know, we absolutely do need to incentivize our commercial operators in space to, to build more passive defenses into their system, especially a lot of the technical defenses, you know, things like making their satellites more resistant to jamming. And I think one of the ways we can do that, that, that came out of our study, is to use a model that was developed for air mobility. We have this thing called the Civil Reserve Air Fleet, where the Air Force pays commercial airlines to be willing, you know, in an emergency to give their aircraft to the military to be used for military purposes, to carry personnel, to carry cargo, things like that. In exchange, those companies uh, get to bid on day-to-day contracts with the military because the military is always shipping cargo. And so, you know, depending on how many aircraft they put in this system, gives their pecking order and bidding for contracts. Now, that also allows the Air Force to levy certain requirements on those aircraft. They have to meet certain standards to be in this system. I think we should do something like that for our commercial space operators, where, you know, if they want to compete for the day-to-day contracts, then they have to sign up, you know, to certain standards and to, you know, employ certain types of space defenses and also agree that in a crisis, they will give us all the capacity, you know, that we need. The report, Defense Against the Dark Arts in Space, Protecting Space Systems from Counterspace Weapons by Todd Harrison, Caitlin Johnson, and McKenna Young is available at CSIS.org. Todd, thank you for helping us get to the truth of the matter about what's really going on out there in space. I appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 